Chapter thirty three of the Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Deborah Lynn. The Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. Chapter thirty three. Mr. Weller the Elder delivers some critical sentiments respecting literary composition, and assisted by his son Samuel, pays a small instalment of retaliation to the account of the reverend gentleman with the red nose. The morning of the 13th of February, which the readers of this authentic narrative know, as well as we do, to have been the day immediately preceding that which was appointed for the trial of Mrs. Bardell's actions, was a busy time for Mr. Samuel Weller, who was perpetually engaged in travelling from the George and Vulture to Mr. Perker's chambers and back again, from and between the hours of nine o'clock in the morning and two in the afternoon, both inclusive. Not that there was anything whatever to be done— for the consultation had taken place, and the course of proceeding to be adopted had been finally determined on. But Mr. Pickwick, being in a most extreme state of excitement, persevered in constantly sending small notes to his attorney, merely containing the inquiry, "'Dear Perker, is all going on well?' to which Mr. Perker invariably forwarded the reply, "'Dear Pickwick, as well as possible.' The fact being, as we have already hinted, that there was nothing whatever to go on either well or ill, until the sitting of the court on the following morning. But people who go voluntarily to law, or are taken forcibly there, for the first time, may be allowed to labour under some temporary irritation and anxiety, and Sam, with a due allowance for the frailties of human nature, obeyed all his master's behests with that imperturbable good-humour and unruffable composure which formed one of his most striking and amiable characteristics. Sam had solaced himself with a most agreeable little dinner, and was waiting at the bar for the glass of warm mixture in which Mr. Pickwick had requested him to drown the fatigues of his morning's walks, when a young boy of about three feet high, or thereabouts, in a hairy cap and fustian overalls, whose garb bespoke a laudable ambition to attain, in time, the elevation of an hostler, entered the passage of the Georgian Vulture, and looked first up the stairs, and then along the passage, and then into the bar, as if in search of somebody to whom he bore a commission. Whereupon the barmaid, conceiving it not improbable that the said commission might be directed to the tea or tablespoons of the establishment, accosted the boy with, "'Now, young man, what do you want?' "'Is there anybody here named Sam?' inquired the youth, in a loud voice of treble quality. "'What's the t'other name?' said Sam Weller, looking round. "'How should I know?' briskly replied the young gentleman below the hairy cap. "'You're a sharp boy, you are,' said Mr. Weller. "'Only I wouldn't show that wary fine edge too much if I was you, in case anybody took it off. "'What do you mean by coming to a hotel and asking arter Sam with as much politeness as a wild Indian?' "'Cause an old gentleman told me to,' replied the boy. "'What old gentleman?' inquired Sam, with deep disdain. "'Him as drives the Ipswich coach, and uses our parlour,' rejoined the boy. "'He told me yesterday morning to come to the George and Walter this arternoon and ask for Sam.' "'It's my father, my dear,' said Mr. Weller, turning with an explanatory air to the young lady in the bar. "'Blessed if I think he hardly knows what my other name is. "'Well, young broccoli sprout, what then?' "'Why then,' said the boy, "'you was to come to him at six o'clock to our house.' "'Cause he wants to see you. Blue boar, leaden all market. "'Shall I say you're comin'? "'You may venture on that air statement, sir,' replied Sam. "'And thus empowered, the young gentleman walked away, 
awakening all the echoes in George Yard as he did so, with several chaste and extremely correct imitations of a drover's whistle, delivered in a tone of peculiar richness and volume. Mr. Weller having obtained leave of absence from Mr. Pickwick, who, in his then state of excitement and worry, was by no means displeased at being left alone, set forth long before the appointed hour, and having plenty of time at his disposal, sauntered down as far as the mansion-house, where he paused and contemplated, with a face of great calmness and philosophy, the numerous cads and drivers of short stages who assembled near that famous place of resort, to the great terror and confusion of the old lady population of these realms. Having loitered here for half an hour or so, Mr. Weller turned and began wending his way towards Leadenall Market, through a variety of by-streets and courts. As he was sauntering away his spare time, and stopped to look at almost every object that met his gaze, it is by no means surprising that Mr. Weller should have paused before a small stationer's and print-seller's window. But without further explanation it does appear surprising that his eyes should have no sooner rested on certain pictures which were exposed for sale therein, than he gave a sudden start, smote his right leg with great vehemence, and exclaimed with energy, "'If it hadn't been for this I should have forgot all about it till it was too late.' The particular picture on which Sam Weller's eyes were fixed as he said this was a highly coloured representation of a couple of human hearts skewered together with an arrow, cooking before a cheerful fire, while a male and female cannibal in modern attire, the gentleman being clad in a blue coat and white trousers, and the lady in a deep red pelisse with a parasol of the same, were approaching the meal with hungry eyes, up a serpentine gravel path leading thereunto. A decidedly indelicate young gentleman, in a pair of wings and nothing else, was depicted as superintending the cooking. A representation of the spire of the church in Langham Place, London, appeared in the distance, and the whole formed a valentine, of which, as a written inscription in the window testified, there was a large assortment within which the shopkeeper pledged himself to dispose of, to his countrymen generally, at the reduced rate of one and sixpence each. "'I should have forgot it. I should certainly have forgot it,' said Sam. So saying, he at once stepped into the stationer's shop, and requested to be served with a sheet of the best gilt-edged letter-paper, and a hard-nibbed pen which could be warranted not to splutter. These articles, having been promptly supplied, he walked on direct towards Leadenall Market, at a good round pace, very different from his recent lingering one. Looking round him, he there beheld a signboard, on which the painter's art had delineated something remotely resembling a cerulean elephant, with an aquiline nose, in lieu of trunk. Rightly conjecturing that this was the blue boar himself, he stepped into the house, and inquired concerning his parent. "'He won't be here this three-quarters of an hour or more,' said the young lady, who superintended the domestic arrangements of the blue boar. "'Very good, my dear,' replied Sam. "'Let me have nine penn'orth of brandy and water, Luke, and the inkstand, will you, miss?' The brandy-and-water Luke, and the inkstand, having been carried into the little parlour, and the young lady having carefully flattened down the coals to prevent their blazing, and carried away the poker to preclude the possibility of the fire being stirred, without the full privity and concurrence of the blue boar being first had and obtained, Sam Weller sat himself down in a box near the stove, and pulled out the sheet of gilt-edged letter-paper and the hard-nibbed pen. 
Then, looking carefully at the pen to see that there were no hairs in it, and dusting down the table so that there might be no crumbs of bread under the paper, Sam tucked up the cuffs of his coat, squared his elbows, and composed himself to write. To ladies and gentlemen who are not in the habit of devoting themselves practically to the science of penmanship, writing a letter is no very easy task, it being always considered necessary in such cases for the writer to recline his head on his left arm so as to place his eyes as nearly as possible on a level with the paper, and, while glancing sideways at the letters he is constructing, to form with his tongue imaginary characters to correspond. These motions, although unquestionably of the greatest assistance to original composition, retard in some degree the progress of the writer, and Sam had unconsciously been a full hour and a half writing words in small text, smearing out wrong letters with his little finger, and putting in new ones, which required going over very often, to render them visible through the old blots, when he was roused by the opening of the door and the entrance of his parent. "'Vell, Sammy,' said the father. "'Vell, my Prussian blue,' responded the son, laying down his pen. "'What's the last bulletin about mother-in-law?' "'Mrs. Veller passed a very good night, but is uncommon per worse and unpleasant this morning.' "'Signed upon oath, Tony Veller, Esquire. "'That's the last one as was issued, Sammy,' replied Mr. Weller, untying his shawl. "'No better yet?' inquired Sam. "'All the symptoms aggravated,' replied Mr. Weller, shaking his head. "'But what's that you're a-doin' of? "'Pursuit of knowledge under difficulties, Sammy?' "'I've done now,' said Sam, with slight embarrassment. "'I've been a-writin'.' "'So I see,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Not to any young woman, I hope, Sammy.' "'Why, it's no use of saying it ain't,' replied Sam. "'It's a Wallentine.' "'A what?' exclaimed Mr. Weller, apparently horror-stricken by the word. "'A Wallentine,' replied Sam. "'Samoval, Samoval,' said Mr. Weller, in reproachful accents. "'I didn't think you'd ha' done it. "'Arter the warning you've had your father's wishes propensities, "'arter all I've said to you upon this here wary subject, Arter actually seein' and bein' in the company o' your own mother-in-law, which I should ha' thought was the moral lesson as no man could never ha' forgotten to his dying day, I didn't think you'd ha' done it, Sammy. I didn't think you'd ha' done it. These reflections were too much for the good old man. He raised Sam's tumbler to his lips and drank off its contents. "'What's the matter now?' said Sam. "'Never mind, Sammy,' replied Mr. Weller. "'It'll be a wary agonizing trial to me at my time of life, but I'm pretty tough. "'That's von consolation,' as the wary old turkey remarked when the farmer said he was afeard he should be obliged to kill him for the London market. "'What'll be a trial?' inquired Sam. "'To see you married, Sammy. "'To see you a deluded victim, and thinking in your innocence that it's all wary capital,' replied Mr. Weller. "'It's a dreadful trial to a father's feelings, that air, Sammy.' "'Nonsense,' said Sam. "'I ain't a-going to get married. Don't you fret yourself about that. I know you're a judge of these things. Order in your pipe, and I'll read you the letter. There.' We cannot distinctly say whether it was the prospect of the pipe, or the consolatory reflection that a fatal disposition to get married ran in the family and couldn't be helped, which calmed Mr. Weller's feelings, and caused his grief to subside. We should be rather disposed to say that the result was attained by combining the two sources of consolation, for he repeated the second in a low tone, very frequently, ringing the bell meanwhile to order in the first. 
He then divested himself of his upper coat, and lighting the pipe, and placing himself in front of the fire, with his back towards it, so that he could feel its full heat, and recline against the mantelpiece at the same time, turned towards Sam, and with a countenance greatly mollified by the softening influence of tobacco, requested him to fire away. Sam dipped his pen into the ink to be ready for any corrections, and began with a very theatrical air. "'Lovely stop,' said Mr. Weller, ringing the bell. "'A double glass of the invariable, my dear.' "'Very well, sir,' replied the girl, who with great quickness appeared, vanished, returned, and disappeared. "'They seem to know your ways here,' observed Sam. "'Yes,' replied his father. "'I've been here before in my time. "'Go on, Sammy.' "'Lovely creeter,' repeated Sam. "'Tainted poetry, is it?' interposed his father. "'No, no,' replied Sam. "'Wery glad to hear it,' said Mr. Weller. "'Poetry's unnatural. "'No man ever talked poetry except a beetle on Boxing Day, "'or Warren's Blacken, or Rowland's Oil, or some of them low fellows.' "'Never you let yourself down to talk poetry, my boy. "'Begin again, Sammy.' "'Mr. Weller resumed his pipe with critical solemnity, "'and Sam once more commenced and read as follows. "'Lovely creeter, I feel myself a damned—' "'That ain't proper,' said Mr. Weller, taking his pipe from his mouth. "'No, it ain't damned,' observed Sam, holding the letter up to the light. "'It's shamed. There's a blot there. I feel myself ashamed.' "'Wery good,' said Mr. Weller. "'Go on. "'Feel myself ashamed and completely sur—' "'I forget what this here word is,' said Sam, scratching his head with the pen, in vain attempts to remember. "'Why don't you look at it, then?' inquired Mr. Weller. "'So I am a-looking at it,' replied Sam. "'But there's another blot. "'Here's a C, and a I, and a D. "'Circumwented, perhaps?' suggested Mr. Weller. "'No, it ain't that,' said Sam. "'Circumscribed, that's it.' "'That ain't as good a word as circumwented, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller gravely. "'Think not?' said Sam. "'Nothing like it,' replied his father. "'But don't you think it means more?' inquired Sam. "'Well, perhaps it's a more tenderer word,' said Mr. Weller, after a few moments' reflection. "'Go on, Sammy.' "'Feel myself ashamed and completely circumscribed in addressin' of you, "'for you are a nice gal and nothing but it.' "'That's a wery pretty sentiment,' said the elder Mr. Weller, "'removing his pipe to make way for the remark. "'Yes, I think it is rather good,' observed Sam, highly flattered. "'What I like in that air style of writin,' said the elder Mr. Weller, "'is that there ain't no callin' names in it, "'no weenuses, nor nothin' of that kind.' "'What's the good of calling a young woman a weenus or a angel, Sammy?' "'Ah, what indeed,' replied Sam. "'You might just as well call her a griffin, or a unicorn, or a king's arms at once, "'which is very well known to be a collection of fabulous animals,' added Mr. Weller. "'Just as well,' replied Sam. "'Drive on, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller. "'Sam complied with the request, and proceeded as follows.' his father continuing to smoke, with a mixed expression of wisdom and complacency, which was particularly edifying. "'Afore I see you, I thought all women was alike.' "'So they are,' observed the elder Mr. Weller, parenthetically. "'But now,' continued Sam, "'now I find what a regular, soft-headed, incredulous turnip I must ha' been, for there ain't nobody like you, though I like you better than nothing at all.' "'I thought it best to make that rather strong,' said Sam, looking up. Mr. Weller nodded approvingly, and Sam resumed. 
"'So I take the privilege of the day, Mary, my dear,' as the gentleman in difficulties did when he walked out of a Sunday, "'to tell you that the first and only time I see you, "'your likeness was took on my heart in much quicker time and brighter colours "'than ever a likeness was took by the profile machine, "'which perhaps you may have heard on, Mary, my dear, "'although it does finish a portrait and put the frame and glass on complete, "'with a hook at the end to hang it up by, and all in two minutes and a quarter.' "'I am afeard that word is on the poetical, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller dubiously. "'No, it don't,' replied Sam, reading on very quickly to avoid contesting the point. "'Accept of me, Mary, my dear, as your Valentine, and think over what I've said. "'My dear Mary, I will now conclude.' "'That's all,' said Sam. "'That's rather a sudden pull-up, ain't it, Sammy?' inquired Mr. Weller. "'Not a bit in it,' said Sam. "'She'll wish there was more, and that's the great art a letter-writin.' "'Well,' said Mr. Weller, "'there's something in that, "'and I wish your mother-in-law'd only conduct her conversation "'on the same genteel principle. "'Ain't you a-goin' to sign it?' "'That's the difficulty,' said Sam. "'I don't know what to sign it.' "'Sign it, Veller,' said the oldest surviving proprietor of that name. "'Won't do,' said Sam. "'Never sign a Wallentine with your own name.' "'Sign it Pickwick, then,' said Mr. Weller. "'It's a wary good name, and a easy one to spell.' "'The wary thing,' said Sam. "'I could end with a worse. What do you think?' "'I don't like it, Sam,' rejoined Mr. Weller. "'I never knowed a respectable coachman as wrote poetry, "'cept one as made an affectin' copy o' worse "'as the night afore he was hung for a highway robbery, "'and he was only a Camberville man, so even that's no rule.' "'But Sam was not to be dissuaded from the poetical idea "'that had occurred to him. "'So he signed the letter, "'Your love-sick Pickwick,' "'and having folded it in a very intricate manner,' "'squeezed a downhill direction in one corner "'to Mary, housemaid, at Mr. Nupkins's "'Mayor's, Ipswich, Suffolk, "'and put it into his pocket, "'wafered and ready for the general post. "'This important business having been transacted, "'Mr. Weller the Elder proceeded to open that "'on which he had summoned his son. "'The first matter relates to your governor, Sammy,' "'said Mr. Weller. "'He's a-goin' to be tried to-morrow, ain't he?' "'The trial's a-comin' on,' replied Sam.' "'Vell,' said Mr. Weller, "'now I suppose he'll want to call some witnesses "'to speak to his character, "'or perhaps to prove a alibi. "'I've been a-turnin' the business over in my mind, "'and he may make himself easy, Sammy. "'I've got some friends as'll do either for him, "'but my advice would be this here. "'Never mind the character and stick to the alibi. "'Nothing like a alibi, Sammy, nothing.' "'Mr. Weller looked very profound "'as he delivered this legal opinion.' "'and burying his nose in his tumbler, "'winked over the top thereof at his astonished son. "'Why, what do you mean?' said Sam. "'You don't think he's a-goin' to be tried at the old Bailey, do you?' "'That ain't no part of the present consideration, Sammy,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Wherever he's a-goin' to be tried, my boy, "'I alibi's the thing to get him off. "'We got Tom Vildspark off that air manslaughter with the alibi, "'then all the big vigs to a man said as nothing couldn't save him.' "'And my opinion is, Sammy, that if your governor don't prove a alibi, "'he'll be what the Italians call regularly flummoxed, and that's all about it.' "'As the elder Mr. Weller entertained a firm and unalterable conviction "'that the Old Bailey was the Supreme Court of Judicature in this country, "'and that its rules and forms of proceeding regulated and controlled the practice "'of all other courts of justice whatsoever, 
He totally disregarded the assurances and arguments of his son, tending to show that the alibi was inadmissible, and vehemently protested that Mr. Pickwick was being victimized. Finding that it was of no use to discuss the matter further, Sam changed the subject, and inquired what the second topic was on which his revered parent wished to consult him. "'That's a pint of domestic policy, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller. "'This here Stiggins.' "'Red-nosed man?' inquired Sam. "'The wary same,' replied Mr. Weller. "'This here red-nosed man, Sammy, visits your mother-in-law, with a kindness and constancy I never see equaled. He's sich a friend of the family, Sammy, that when he's away from us he can't be comfortable unless he has something to remember us by.' "'And I'd give him something, as it turpentine and beeswax his memory for the next ten years or so, if I was you,' interposed Sam. "'Stop a minute,' said Mr. Weller. "'I was a-going to say he always brings now a flat bottle as holds about a pint and a half and fills it with the pineapple rum afore he goes away. "'And empties it afore he comes back, I suppose,' said Sam. "'Clean,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Never leaves nothing in it but the cork and the smell. Trust him for that, Sammy.' "'Now these here fellows, my boy, are a-goin' to-night to get up the monthly meetin' of the Brick Lane branch of the United Grand Junction Ebenezer Temperance Association. "'Your mother-in-law was a-goin', Sammy, but she's got the rheumatics and can't. And I, Sammy, I've got the two tickets as was sent her.' Mr. Weller communicated this secret with great glee, and winked so indefatigably after doing so, that Sam began to think he must have got the tick doloureux in his right eyelid. "'Well,' said that young gentleman. "'Well,' continued his progenitor, looking round him very cautiously, "'you and I'll go, punctual to the time. "'The deputy shepherd won't, Sammy. "'The deputy shepherd won't.' "'Here Mr. Weller was seized with a paroxysm of chuckles, "'which gradually terminated in as near an approach to a choke "'as an elderly gentleman can, with safety, sustain. "'Well, I never see such an old ghost in all my born days,' exclaimed Sam, "'rubbing the old gentleman's back hard enough to set him on fire with the friction. "'What are you a-laughing at, Corpulence?' "'Hush, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, looking round him with increased caution and speaking in a whisper. Two friends of mine as works the Oxford Road, and is up to all kinds of games, "'has got the deputy shepherd safe in tow, Sammy, and then he does come to the Ebenezer Junction, "'which he's sure to do, for they'll see him to the door and shove him in if necessary.' "'He'll be as far gone in rum and water as ever he was at the Marcus of Granby Dorkin, "'and that's not saying a little, neither.' "'And with this Mr. Weller once more laughed immoderately, "'and once more relapsed into a state of partial suffocation in consequence. "'Nothing could have been more in accordance with Sam Weller's feelings "'than the projected exposure of the real propensities and qualities of the red-nosed man. "'And it being very near the appointed hour of meeting, "'the father and son took their way at once to Brick Lane.' "'Sam not forgetting to drop his letter into a general post-office as they walked along. "'The monthly meetings of the Brick Lane branch of the United Grand Junction Ebenezer Temperance Association "'were held in a large room, pleasantly and airily situated at the top of a safe and commodious ladder. "'The president was the straight-walking Mr. Anthony Hulm, a converted fireman, now a schoolmaster, and occasionally an itinerant preacher.' and the secretary was Mr. Jonas Mudge, Chandler's shopkeeper, an enthusiastic and disinterested vessel, who sold tea to the members. Previous to the commencement of business, the ladies sat upon forms and drank tea till such time as they considered it expedient to leave off. 
and a large wooden money-box was conspicuously placed upon the green baize cloth of the business-table, behind which the secretary stood, and acknowledged with a gracious smile every addition to the rich vein of copper which lay concealed within. On this particular occasion the women drank tea to a most alarming extent, greatly to the horror of Mr. Weller, Sr., who, utterly regardless of all Sam's admonitory nudgings, stared about him in every direction with the most undisguised astonishment. "'Sammy,' whispered Mr. Weller, "'if some of these here people don't want tappin' to-morrow morning, I ain't your father, and that's what it is. Why, this here old lady next to me is a-drowndin' herself in tea.' "'Be quiet, can't you?' murmured Sam. "'Sam,' whispered Mr. Weller a moment afterwards, in a tone of deep agitation, "'mark my verge, my boy.' "'If that air secretary fellow keeps on for only five minutes more, "'he'll blow hisself up with toast and water.' "'Well, let him if he likes,' replied Sam. "'It ain't no business o' yourn.' "'If this here lasts much longer, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, in the same low voice, "'I shall feel it my duty as a human being to rise and address the cheer. "'There's a young woman on the next form but two as has drunk nine breakfast cups and a half, "'and she's a-swallin' wisibly before my wary eyes.' There is little doubt that Mr. Weller would have carried his benevolent intention into immediate execution, if a great noise, occasioned by putting up the cups and saucers, had not very fortunately announced that the tea-drinking was over. The crockery having been removed, the table with the green baize cover was carried out into the centre of the room, and the business of the evening was commenced by a little emphatic man with a bald head and drab shorts, who suddenly rushed up the ladder at the imminent peril of snapping the two little legs encased in the drab shorts, and said, "'Ladies and gentlemen, I move our excellent brother, Mr. Anthony Hum, into the chair.' The ladies waved a choice selection of pocket-handkerchiefs at this proposition, and the impetuous little man literally moved Mr. Hum into the chair by taking him by the shoulders and thrusting him into a mahogany frame which had once represented that article of furniture.' The waving of handkerchiefs was renewed, and Mr. Hum, who was a sleek, white-faced man in a perpetual perspiration, bowed meekly to the great admiration of the females, and formally took his seat. Silence was then proclaimed by the little man in the drab shorts, and Mr. Hum rose and said that with the permission of his Brick Lane branch brothers and sisters, then and there present, the secretary would read the report of the Brick Lane branch committee, a proposition which was again received with a demonstration of pocket-handkerchiefs. The secretary, having sneezed in a very impressive manner, and the cough which always seizes an assembly when anything particular is going to be done, having been duly performed, the following document was read. Report of the Committee of the Brick Lane Branch of the United Grand Junction Ebenezer Temperance Association. Your committee have pursued their grateful labors during the past month, and have the unspeakable pleasure of reporting the following additional cases of converts to temperance. H. Walker, tailor, wife and two children, when in better circumstances, owns to having been in the constant habit of drinking ale and beer. Says he is not certain whether he did not twice a week for twenty years taste dog's nose, which your committee find upon inquiry to be compounded of warm porter, moist sugar, gin, and nutmeg. A groan, and so it is, from an elderly female. Is now out of work and penniless. Thinks it must be the porter. Cheers! Or the loss of the use of his right hand. 
is not certain which, but thinks it very likely that if he had drunk nothing but water all his life, his fellow workman would never have stuck a rusty needle in him, and thereby occasioned his accident. Tremendous cheering! Has nothing but cold water to drink and never feels thirsty. Great applause! Betsy Martin, widow, one child and one eye, goes out chairing and washing by the day, Never had more than one eye, but knows her mother drank bottled stout, and shouldn't wonder if that caused it. Immense cheering! Thinks it not impossible that if she had always abstained from spirits, she might have had two eyes by this time. Tremendous applause! Used at every place she went to to have eighteen pence a day, a pint of porter, and a glass of spirits. But since she became a member of the Brick Lane branch, has always demanded three and sixpence. The announcement of this most interesting fact was received with deafening enthusiasm. Henry Beller was for many years toastmaster at various corporation dinners, during which time he drank a great deal of foreign wine, may sometimes have carried a bottle or two home with him, is not quite certain of that, but is sure if he did that he drank the contents, feels very low and melancholy, is very feverish, and has a constant thirst upon him. "'thinks it must be the wine he used to drink. "'Cheers! "'Is out of employ now, "'and never touches a drop of foreign wine by any chance. "'Tremendous plaudits! "'Thomas Burton is purveyor of cat's meat "'to the Lord Mayor and Sheriffs, "'and several members of the Common Council. "'The announcement of this gentleman's name "'was received with breathless interest. "'Has a wooden leg, "'finds a wooden leg expensive, "'going over the stones.' used to wear second-hand wooden legs, and drink a glass of hot gin and water regularly every night, sometimes two, deep sighs. Found the second-hand wooden legs split and rot very quickly, is firmly persuaded that their constitution was undermined by the gin and water, prolonged cheering, buys new wooden legs now, and drinks nothing but water and weak tea. The new legs last twice as long as the others used to do, and he attributes this solely to his temperate habits. Triumphant cheers! Anthony Holm now moved that the assembly do regale itself with a song. With a view to their rational and moral enjoyment, Brother Mordlin had adapted the beautiful words of Who Hasn't Heard of a Jolly Young Waterman to the tune of the Old Hundredth, which he would request them to join him in singing. Great applause! He might take that opportunity of expressing his firm persuasion that the late Mr. Dibden, seeing the errors of his former life, had written that song to show the advantages of abstinence. It was a temperance song. Whirlwinds of cheers! The neatness of the young man's attire, the dexterity of his feathering, the enviable state of mind which enabled him in the beautiful words of the poet to row along thinking of nothing at all, all combined to prove that he must have been a water-drinker. Cheers! Oh, what a state of virtuous jollity! Rapturous cheering! And what was the young man's reward? Let all young men present mark this. The maidens all flocked to his boat so readily. Loud cheers in which the ladies joined. What a bright example! The sisterhood, the maidens, flocking round the young waterman, and urging him along the stream of duty and of temperance. But was it the maidens of humble life only who soothed, consoled, and supported him? No! He was always first oars with the fine city ladies. Immense cheering! 
The soft sex to a man, he begged pardon, to a female, rallied round the young waterman, and turned with disgust from the drinker of spirits. Cheers! The Brick Lane Branch brothers were watermen. Cheers and laughter! That room was their boat, that audience were the maidens, and he, Mr. Anthony Hum, however unworthily, was first oars. Unbounded applause! "'What does he mean by the soft sex, Sammy?' inquired Mr. Weller in a whisper. "'The woman,' said Sam, in the same tone. "'He ain't far out there, Sammy,' replied Mr. Weller. "'They must be a soft sex, a wary soft sex, indeed, "'if they let themselves be gammoned by such fellers as him.' Any further observations from the indignant old gentleman were cut short by the announcement of the song, which Mr. Anthony Hum gave out two lines at a time, for the information of such of his hearers as were unacquainted with the legend. While it was being sung, the little man with the drab shorts disappeared. He returned immediately on its conclusion, and whispered Mr. Anthony Hum with a face of the deepest importance. "'My friends,' said Mr. Hum, holding up his hand in a deprecatory manner, to bespeak the silence of such of the stout old ladies as were yet a line or two behind, "'my friends, a delegate from the dorking branch of our society,' "'Brother Stiggins, attends below.' Out came the pocket-handkerchiefs again, in greater force than ever, for Mr. Stiggins was excessively popular among the female constituency of Brick Lane. "'He may approach, I think,' said Mr. Hum, looking round him with a fat smile. "'Brother Tadger, let him come forth and greet us.' The little man in the drab shorts, who answered to the name of Brother Tadger, bustled down the ladder with great speed, and was immediately afterwards heard tumbling up with the Reverend Mr. Stiggins. "'He's a-comin', Sammy,' whispered Mr. Weller, purple in the countenance, with suppressed laughter. "'Don't say nothing to me,' replied Sam, "'for I can't bear it. He's close to the door. I hear him a-knockin' his head against the lath and plaster now.' As Sam Weller spoke, the little door flew open, and Brother Tadger appeared, closely followed by the Reverend Mr. Stiggins, who no sooner entered than there was a great clapping of hands and stamping of feet, and flourishing of handkerchiefs, to all of which manifestations of delight Brother Stiggins returned no other acknowledgment than staring with a wild eye and a fixed smile at the extreme top of the wick of the candle on the table, swaying his body to and fro, meanwhile, in a very unsteady and uncertain manner. "'Are you unwell, Brother Stiggins?' whispered Mr. Anthony Hum. "'I am all right, sir,' replied Mr. Stiggins, in a tone in which ferocity was blended with an extreme thickness of utterance, "'I am all right, sir.' "'Oh, very well,' rejoined Mr. Anthony Hum, retreating a few paces. "'I believe no man here has ventured to say that I am not all right, sir,' said Mr. Stiggins. "'Oh, certainly not,' said Mr. Hum. "'I should advise him not to, sir. I should advise him not,' said Mr. Stiggins." By this time the audience were perfectly silent, and waited with some anxiety for the resumption of business. "'Will you address the meeting, brother?' said Mr. Hum, with a smile of invitation. "'No, sir,' rejoined Mr. Stiggins. "'No, sir, I will not, sir.' The meeting looked at each other with raised eyelids, and a murmur of astonishment ran through the room. "'It's my opinion, sir,' said Mr. Stiggins, unbuttoning his coat and speaking very loudly. "'It's my opinion, sir, that this meeting is drunk, sir.' "'Brother Tadger, sir,' said Mr. Stiggins, suddenly increasing in ferocity and turning sharp round on the little man in the drab shorts. "'You are drunk, sir.' 
With this, Mr. Stiggins, entertaining a praiseworthy desire to promote the sobriety of the meeting, and to exclude therefrom all improper characters, hit Brother Tadger on the summit of the nose with such unerring aim that the drab shorts disappeared like a flash of lightning. Brother Tadger had been knocked head-first down the ladder. Upon this the women set up a loud and dismal screaming, and rushing in small parties before their favourite brothers, flung their arms around them to preserve them from danger. An instance of affection which had nearly proved fatal to Hum, who, being extremely popular, was all but suffocated by the crowd of female devotees that hung about his neck and heaped caresses upon him. The greater part of the lights were quickly put out, and nothing but noise and confusion resounded on all sides. "'Now, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, taking off his great coat with much deliberation, "'just you step out and fetch in a watchman.' "'And what are you a-going to do the while?' inquired Sam. "'Never you mind me, Sammy,' replied the old gentleman. "'I shall occupy myself in having a small settlement with that air Stiggins.' Before Sam could interfere to prevent it, his heroic parent had penetrated into a remote corner of the room, and attacked the Reverend Mr. Stiggins with manual dexterity. "'Come off!' said Sam. "'Come on!' cried Mr. Weller, and without further invitation he gave the Reverend Mr. Stiggins a preliminary tap on the head, and began dancing round him in a buoyant and cork-like manner, which, in a gentleman at his time of life, was a perfect marvel to behold." Finding all remonstrances unavailing, Sam pulled his hat firmly on, threw his father's coat over his arm, and, taking the old man round the waist, forcibly dragged him down the ladder and into the street, never releasing his hold or permitting him to stop until they reached the corner. As they gained it, they could hear the shouts of the populace, who were witnessing the removal of the Reverend Mr. Stiggins to strong lodgings for the night, and could hear the noise occasioned by the dispersion in various directions— of the members of the Brick Lane branch of the United Grand Junction Ebenezer Temperance Association. End of chapter 33